Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and toquettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Friday, September 30th, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. It's also got to be the weekend. We made it to the weekend. We made it to the end of September. We've made it to the end of the third quarter. Just one quarter left in 2016. October, November, December, and of course, November 8th, election night. The most momentous occasion in marijuana reform ever. Nine states voting on reform measures statewide and plenty of other local measures for us to cover. We'll bring it to you live on our marijuana election night coverage coming to you from Los Angeles, California. It'll be on CannabisRadio.com Tuesday election night, 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific or 6 p.m. to midnight Eastern. We're covering all of the elections as the polls close from east to west. We'll have the we'll have some candidates to talk to. We'll have the representatives from the campaigns. We will have uh, our own reporters at the campaign watch parties. We have a few celebrities we will be interviewing. And most interestingly, this is the new development. We will have opponents to legalization on as well. Yes, we are going to have the people opposing the legalization initiatives in their states on so we can provide fair and balanced coverage. <laughs> so we're going to give both sides a chance to talk. Looks like we're also tied in with about 30 different uh, local TV affiliates across the country that are going to be taking our feed for their marijuana news. So it's going to be a really exciting night. All right, coming up on today's show, we've got some great subjects to tackle today. And uh, our guest is uh, Jim Borgasani. He is with the Regulate Massachusetts campaign. Yes, on question four. He's going to join us at half past to talk about the uh, question four initiative, give us some details on that and uh, the chances it might have to pass there in Massachusetts. So stay tuned for that. That's part of our marijuana election night previews that we're doing all leading up into the election. We'll also have time for a radical rant at the end of the show today. We're going to uh, discuss the uh, the need for some of these public policy wonks all of a sudden to want to protect the public health from the specter of corporate marijuana, which is a surprise to me considering they haven't really been that concerned about public health when it comes to alcohol and tobacco and fat and sugar and caffeine and other things that are far more harmful than marijuana. So I'll get to the point of why now and why marijuana in the radical rant. But before that, we'll get to our drug war data mining. We've got some great information here on the results of legalization in the four states that have legalized so far. We're going to send that out to the stoners against legalization and see if that helps to convince them to vote in their own best self-interest and not be a criminal anymore. That's coming up in Drug War Data Mining. Also, we've got a behind-the-headlines segment where we'll tell you about the DEA's secret snitch squad that's been snooping on your travel records. That's coming up in Behind the Headlines, which is right after the Cannabis Radio News. And in the news today, 
Tomorrow is October 1st, and that means there's some new regulations for edibles going into effect in Colorado. Also, new regulations go into effect in Oregon on marijuana testing that may cause a problem for the retailers. We've got a New Hampshire representative, a state lawmaker, uh, who is busted selling and uh, smoking weed in the state house <laughs> in New Hampshire. We've got an Arizona state official who is electioneering against the legalization campaign using state resources, but the governor says it's no big deal. And a former Denver drug cop gets busted for two pounds of pot in a drug operation gone awry. This guy's a real loser. We'll tell you all about it in the Cannabis Radio News. We're back in just two minutes. Thanks for joining us. I'm Radical Russ. Stick around. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. From high atop Mount Soldad in San Diego, California, 100 feet above sea level. Good morning. It's good news with cannabis nurse Heather. This plant is amazing. Positive change is happening. We did it. No matter who you are, you can make a positive impact on the world. I would rather be illegally alive than legally dead. And that quote helped to give you strength. Nurse Heather is only on CannabisRadio.com. Good morning, Cannabis Nurse Heather. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I am a round peg in a square hole. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. Marijuana legalization is a worldwide phenomenon. Get yourself positioned for the global cannabis marketplace by attending the International Cannabis Business Conference in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. You'll learn from established cannabis professionals, elected officials, and internationally recognized marijuana law reform activists. You'll also enjoy the ICBC's famous VIP party featuring ICBC special guest speaker and Canadian native Tommy Chong. The ICBC is happening in Vancouver on Thursday and Friday, October 13th and 14th at the Hyatt Regency. Log on to internationalcbc.com today to reserve your tickets. That's internationalcbc.com and bookmark our page for the next ICBCs taking place in Berlin, Germany and San Francisco, California. Don't miss the International Cannabis Business Conference, internationalcbc.com. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. 
This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, September 30th, 2016. Tomorrow is the 1st of October, which means new regulations go into effect in Colorado for the packaging and design of marijuana-infused edibles. A new universal symbol must be displayed on the packages and, where possible, stamped onto every serving of the edible marijuana product, whether it is produced for the medical or recreational market. The symbol is a diamond with the characters exclamation point THC or exclamation point THCM enclosed. Edibles that can be stamped and separated must divide into serving sizes containing no greater than 10 milligrams of THC. Bulk or liquid edible products can only be sold in single serving packages. Packaging must also include the warning, quote, contains marijuana, keep out of the reach of children, end quote. New rules also forbid the use of the word candy or candies for describing edibles. Potency and contamination information must be displayed. Regulations now also make 8 grams of concentrate or 80 servings of edibles equivalent equal to an ounce of flour for the purposes of determining if a purchaser has exceeded their one ounce legal limit. New regulations also go into effect in Oregon tomorrow as well, but industry advocates are pushing hard for a delay. New packaging, labeling, and testing rules go into effect October 1st, but it's the testing requirements that are causing great concern for the state's marijuana retailers. Legislators mandated that starting tomorrow, shops can only stock their shelves with cannabis products that have been tested at labs accredited by the state. But funding for the state staff and resources needed by officials to handle the sudden increase in demand has left the state with only one lab to handle the massive October harvest that is about to hit the Oregon market. State Senator Floyd Przanski told the Oregonian he supports a 90-day extension of the deadline during which the shops could continue to sell cannabis products as they are now, tested by labs that haven't been properly accredited. A former New Hampshire state lawmaker charged with trying to lure a 14-year-old girl into a sexual encounter also smoked marijuana in the statehouse and sold the drug to several other legislators, but there wasn't enough evidence to charge them with drug crimes, the attorney general said Friday. Former state representative Kyle Tasker, a 30-year-old Republican, resigned in March after his arrest on three unrelated drug charges and a charge of trying to lure a minor for sex. He and his lawyer haven't commented on the charges, and his attorney didn't immediately respond to an email seeking comment Friday. According to Attorney General Joseph Foster's report, a state police review of Tasker's iPad and Facebook activity led investigators to four state representatives he may have sold or shared marijuana with, Democrat Amanda Bolden and Republicans Joseph Lachance, Pamela Tucker, and Ted Wright. An Arizona state official forwarded an email against proposed marijuana legalization to thousands of state employees, but the governor's office said it didn't break state rules on propaganda. Department of Economic Security Director Tim Jeffrey sent the email to his department's employees Sunday night. The Arizona Republic reported that it was written primarily by radio show host Seth Liebson, a member of the group spearheading a campaign against the ballot proposition to legalize recreational marijuana. State employees are not allowed to use public resources to influence the outcome of elections, according to Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich. Governor Doug Ducey's spokesman, Daniel Scarpinato, said Jeffries was only sharing the email, which doesn't, quote, meet the description of, quote, electioneering using state resources, end quote. The email had the subject line, quote, forward, alcohol safer than marijuana, end quote, with the comment, you be the judge, added to it. A former Denver drug cop has been busted for two pounds of pot plus some methamphetamine found in a search of his home, according to the Denver Post. 
Marty Vanover, a former Denver police narcotics sergeant, faces charges of possession with intent to manufacture or distribute marijuana or marijuana concentrate, possession of a controlled substance, and two counts of possession of marijuana or marijuana concentrate. In 2014, Vanover was fired after he was charged with third-degree assault related to death threats against his girlfriend, then subsequently disobeyed orders to have no contact with her and lied about it to internal affairs. The judge who read his multiple felony charges and checkered past released Vanover on a $2,000 personal recognizance bond. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Friday, September 30th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry, one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. shooting past a thousand degrees fahrenheit it's burning up i'm afraid for this little guy it's just too late what caused the problem only dr dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth tasting slower burn this standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits sending it up in smoke so you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke not vapor correct keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to dr dabber doctor's order less heat <laughs> more flavor Nevada's local leaders are voting yes on two to regulate marijuana. Through this yes on two, we're creating a direct line of revenue. Our schools here in Nevada are so underfunded, this would be a great revenue source to expand and improve upon the educational system. If you decriminalize it and regulate it and tax it, uh, it's a win-win. I'm Heidi Swank, and I'm voting yes on question two. And I'm voting yes on question two. And I'm voting yes on two. I'm Kitty Jung, and I'm voting yes on question two. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio, inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our cannabis focus. Today we focus on a audit that has been conducted by the United States Department of Justice on the operations of the Drug Enforcement Administration, the DEA. And this was published yesterday. The DOJ's Inspector General audited the DEA from 2010 to 2015 to determine how they are using confidential informants, what we like to call snitches. And this has always been a part of the drug war, uh, trying to uh, coerce and intimidate uh, low-level cannabis consumers into snitching on higher-level uh, operators so that the DEA can make the bigger bust. Uh, we've told numerous stories of how people have been killed doing this uh, confidential informant work. Well, according to this audit... Over the span of 2010 to 2015, the DEA boasted more than, quote, 
18,000 active confidential sources assigned to its domestic offices, with over 9,000 of those sources receiving approximately $237 million in payments for information or services they provided, end quote. That's from the report. The Intercept has this uh, story online if you'd like to follow up on it. 18,000 snitches, half of them received $237 million for their work. Now, in comparison, the FBI has 15,000 snitches. DEA has 18,000 snitches. FBI is in charge of covering all federal crime, interstate crime, kidnapping, murders, counterfeiting, all these kind of things. They get 15,000 snitches to deal with that. To deal with drugs, 18,000. And $237 million of taxpayer money. Now, what is the effect of having all these snitches? Has it, of course, eradicated drugs? Has it stopped uh, smuggling? Has it taken down any real kingpins? No. And the DEA themselves don't even know. Here's a quote from the Intercept piece that uh, comes from the audit. Quote, Because DEA's files do not detail the universe of information provided by its sources, it is unable to examine their reliability and whether they frequently or rarely provide useful information, or whether the information DEA agents acted upon resulted in identifying individuals involved in illegal activity, or instead caused DEA to regularly approach innocent civilians for questioning. We are deeply concerned about this inability to assess source reliability, which seriously impairs DEA's ability to oversee and manage the activity of these sources and the confidential source program overall, end quote. Deeply concerned because DEA can't even tell you whether those snitches are lying or not, whether they're useful or not. And even the ones who are useful, whether or not that actually led to any results. $237 million in payments. Now, uh, these snitches, there was 477 of them that were the highest earners, the top snitches. The, uh, the number one uh, stool pigeons, 477 of these guys earned an estimated $26.8 million during that five-year period. It worked out to $56,000 per snitch, $56,000 for each. Now, what's really troublesome about this is not just the money, but where are these snitches working? Where are they at? Well... According to this DOJ audit, DEA snitches might be the person booking your airline tickets, might be the person uh, doing uh, shipping at the Amtrak station for the trains. The DEA cultivates these snitches, typically targeting, and again, quote from the report, employees in the travel and parcel industries with access to passenger information or private facilities who are then, quote, paid to conduct searches on proprietary databases or access packages shipped through private companies to provide traveler and package information to the DEA to assist in interdiction activities, end quote. They found at least 33 sources, 33 snitches working at Amtrak, train attendants, ticket agents, paid more than $1.4 million over four years, They'd give DEA printouts of passenger manifests. They'd let special agents do background checks. In one case, there was one Amtrak employee who worked for DEA for 20 years, earned $962,615. And this, of course, is violating federal regulations, according to the audit, 
by selectively approaching and paying Amtrak employees because the information DEA wants, they could have gotten for free. They're covered by Department of Transportation. Amtrak can send all that stuff to the federal government. They paid snitches upwards of a million dollars in one case to provide them information that they could have gotten from the government for free. That gives you some idea of the waste and the ridiculous overkill in the war on drugs. I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. All right. Well, that sound means it's 20 after, and that's time for us to take our union-mandated safety briefing. We want to make sure we're as safe as possible. When we come back, we've got some drug war data mining for you. What is the results of legalization of weed in four states so far? Here's a hint. Cheaper weed. Next to THC and CBD, you can now add CBR to your cannabis vernacular. CBR as in CannabisRadio.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. It's time to hempresent with Inadina Stanger. I say to you with all the fervor of my soul that God intended men to be free. Rebellion against tyranny is a righteous cause. And I believe that with every ounce of my soul, we are fighting a righteous cause because people need nature. Marijuana! Hemp presents only on Cannabis Radio. Sweet sativa. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com, where we don't change our mind on decriminalization during an election year. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. This year, five states are deciding whether to legalize marijuana for adults in this election. But there are still some pot smokers in those states who are voting against those measures. They probably feel like medical marijuana in their state is good enough or decrim is good enough. A lot of them complain that it's not true legalization, you know, because there'll still be some marijuana crimes. 
and they predict that taxes and regulations are going to ultimately raise prices and somehow increase arrests and that there's just just time to wait man we can just wait for the better legalization that'll be in the next election that's that's the theory the stoners against legalization so based on the results of legalization in four states already what could we tell those stoners against legalization about the future of marijuana in their state after legalization what what will help convince them to vote in their own best interest and support marijuana legalization on the ballot in california arizona nevada massachusetts and maine well i've come up with three compelling reasons based on fact based on what has happened in Colorado, Oregon, Alaska, and Washington to provide them a reason to vote yes on legalization. Three reasons to vote yes on legalization. Number one, cheaper marijuana prices. I don't care if you live in a medical state, a decrim state, legalization will lower the price of your marijuana. Oregon's BDS Analytics just released their report on the first six months of legal marijuana sales in Oregon. And they report that the retail marijuana prices are averaging $9.33 a gram. That works out to about 265 bucks an ounce. And that's with the 25% tax included. 265 an ounce. Washington's Botech analysis tracks the retail marijuana market there and they found that the average retail price of marijuana in Washington state is close to the $9 per gram mark. That's about $255 an ounce. And that's with a 37% tax included. Now, that price, $9 a gram, has declined over the past year when it was about $12 a gram. And that's because they ended up with more supply, corrected some of the supply issues. Now we're down to $9 a gram. In Colorado, BDS Analytics reports the average retail marijuana prices are as low as six dollars and 67 cents a gram that's 189 dollars an ounce that was back in april and on 420 there were specials as low as five dollars and 77 cents a gram that's 164 bucks an ounce now when legal sales started in colorado they were selling at eight dollars 86 cents a gram so they have dropped down to 667 now for comparison's sake let's take a look at the prices in three of the medical states that are voting for legalization. At California's largest medical marijuana dispensary, Harborside Health Center in Oakland, they have marijuana listed at $14 to $17 a gram. That's $397 to $483 an ounce. At Arizona's Phoenix Relief Center, their prices are a bit lower, $10 to $12 a gram. That's still $280 to $341 an ounce. And Nevada's Essence Cannabis Dispensary offers marijuana at $15 to $18 per gram. That's $426 to $511 per ounce. Now, we don't have any data on the uh, dispensaries in Massachusetts in, and Maine. They don't list their uh, prices on their website. But priceofweed.com says the street price in those states is between $260 and $339 an ounce. So at the very least, voting for legalization is voting for cheaper marijuana. A second reason, retired canines. You cannot untrain a drug dog from alerting to the smell of marijuana. 
Once marijuana was legalized, police in Oregon, Washington, Colorado, and Alaska had to retire their pot-sniffing canines. Because a dog can't detect the difference between a legal gram of marijuana and an illegal pound of marijuana. So when they alert to the smell of pot, it doesn't indicate that a crime is being committed. And even if this dog is trained to alert on cocaine, meth, and heroin, it's still useless to the cops because a savvy drug dealer could just keep a gram of legal weed stored with his illegal drug stash. If the dog alerts on the drugs, the dealer's defense attorney just gets that evidence dismissed because the dog can't indicate that his alert was for illegal drugs and not for legal marijuana. Legalization also removes from the police their favorite method of bypassing your protections against unreasonable search and seizure, the claim that they can smell marijuana. When pot is illegal, any evidence of it by sight or smell is a reason for a cop to begin the investigation into your potential criminal behavior. Medical marijuana and decriminalization do not change that. With the exception of Massachusetts, where their courts have decided the smell of unburnt marijuana isn't a cause for a search. But if they smell a burnt joint, you're still in trouble. So with this elimination of the dogs and most of the probable cause based on weed evidence, the charges for the remaining marijuana crimes they're so worried about plummet. Such as, you know, if you possess too much marijuana or you grow too many plants or you're trafficking or, and selling without a license, those charges drop. In Colorado, charges for all marijuana crimes dropped 80%. In Washington State, they dropped 63%, and that's probably because they have no home grow, and you know, grow evidence would still be a probable cause. And a third reason? Employment. With legalization comes a flood of new businesses that need employees with a background in cannabis and are less likely to require a pre-employment drug screen. And even for the employers that remain that aren't in the cannabis business, they feel an increased pressure to drop drug testing because they can no longer find enough people to pass the damn test under legalization. So stoners against legalization do the right thing and vote against the cops. Support legalization. We're back with Jim Bergasani from Regulate Massachusetts right after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted, available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Yes on two means better schools. Provide about $20 million a year extra for our school systems. Yes on two means safer streets. More police. And fewer drug dealers in Nevada. A better way of life. This measure will take marijuana out of the black market, which will make our streets safer, and it will take the tax revenue and put it into education. It's Nevada's turn to legalize marijuana. As a 32-year law enforcement professional, I urge you to vote yes on two. This is Dan Michaels from danmichaelsaudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. 
When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. You're listening to Cannabis Radio News' exclusive coverage of Vote 2016, The Path to Cannabis Freedom, only on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody, and we're continuing our Marijuana Election Night preview here on Cannabis Radio. And today we're reaching out to Massachusetts, where Jim Borgasani is with the campaign uh, out there for question four, which would legalize the adult use of marijuana in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Jim, do we have you on the line? You do. Hi, Russ. Oh, Jim, thanks for joining us here on and what is short notice. I just, just reached out today, and you're so kind uh, to join us here for our uh, preview of Marijuana Election Night. We're really excited. And Massachusetts, you've got question four on the ballot. Could you tell our listeners the basics on possession, cultivation, stores, lounges, taxes, any of those details they might like to know? Yeah, sure. Uh, question four would set up a regulated and taxed uh, commerce system, um, you know, similar to what's um, being uh, used in Colorado, Alaska, Oregon, and Washington. Uh, it would be a 12% tax on sales at the retail end, which is lower than some of those states, but we set that because we want to undercut the illicit market while making enough uh, in tax revenue to pay for the administration of the program. And we think 12% is a good starting point. Um, it would allow 10, 10 ounces in possession, um, one ounce on your person, and the rest would have to be um, uh, in your house, locked in a, in a secure uh, place. Um, and we allow home grow, six plants per person, 12 plants per household, and we put the home grow in because that's, you know, in Massachusetts, we allow home brew of wine and beer. And we think that's analogous to, uh, to that allowance. So we think that this is a very sensible, uh, very rational way to end prohibition and yet uh, set up a system that isn't unrestrained legality, but, you know, will not, you know, will stop the terrible uh, injustices that we've seen with uh, prosecuting marijuana cases. Yeah, I'm really excited about uh, some of the aspects of the Massachusetts question for the 10 ounce possession, I thought was interesting. Many of these states, when they're saying you can home cultivate some cannabis, they'll say you can possess the results of your harvest if you, uh, you know, are growing at home, but you can only keep it where you've possessed the harvest. And I always thought, well, that's interesting because you could say you had 200 pounds at home and then say, well, that's the results of my harvest. And they'd have to prove that you weren't a grower. Uh, but I always worried that if you weren't a grower, they could bust you for that. This this 10 ounce thing sounds like even if you're not growing, you can have 10 ounces. Am, am I mistaken in that? No, you're not mistaken. Even if, even if you're not growing, you can have 10 ounces in your house. Again, uh, one ounce, you know, out, if you will, in, in, you know, in your house, the rest have to be under lock and key. Um, just for safety reasons. Um, and we modeled that, by the way. We have the medical marijuana system in Massachusetts, which has had a very slow rollout. But um, that allows up to 10 ounces in possession in the house, too. So we just really uh, took the existing Massachusetts regulation 
and built it into our initiative. Mm, that works quite well. And the other aspect of Massachusetts question four that I really liked is you would be setting the lowest cannabis taxes in the nation. What was the thought behind that? Well, um, as I mentioned earlier, um, the thought was we wanted to have a tax rate that would generate enough tax revenue to pay for the funding of the administration of the initiative. Um, so in other words, we're setting up a Cannabis Control Commission, uh, which would be the regulatory body to oversee the entire industry. Um, we wanted to make sure that that body uh, would be funded, would have enough tax revenue coming in. Uh, but we didn't want to set the tax rate so high that it would encourage uh, the illicit market to keep on functioning. So we really wanted to go at both of those things. And we think that a 12% tax rate um, will be adequate to do that. We think that we'll collect up by 2020, uh, we think that we'll have about $100 million uh, in tax revenue, which would be more than adequate to fund uh, the administration of the cannabis commerce system. Um, and we'll also undercut the illicit market because we don't think that illegal growers or illegal sellers will be able to compete with a tax rate that's you know, set at what we think is a smart level. So when you bring up uh, it being 12%, that's what's in the initiative plus the existing state sales taxes and local taxes? No, that's included. So let me break down the yeah. 12%. We have a 6.25% uh, sales tax in Massachusetts. So any purchase of marijuana uh, would, you know, you have the automatic sales tax, 6.25%. On top of that, we put a 3.75% excise tax, so a special marijuana tax, if you will. Um, and the money from that will go directly to the Cannabis Control Commission uh, in order to fund its operations. Um, and then we have an optional 2% local uh, sales tax. So the locality in which a marijuana establishment um, is operating can get 2% of the sales uh, tax directly to the, to the community. So, you know, the, the 2% is optional. So we have a 10% automatic tax. Uh, we do think that most localities, you know, will, will uh, exercise their right to uh, impose their 2% tax. So we think that 12% tax will be the one that's uh, pretty much operational. Yeah, I like the aspect of trying to make sure we don't uh, incentivize any black market sales uh, through too high a taxation. The flip side of that would be these states out west that have legalized often sell it to voters that are on the fence by saying how much money they'll raise for schools, how much money they'll raise for uh, prevention and so forth. Was there any concern that the, the tax rate being lower wouldn't generate enough money to be enticing to those types of voters? Uh, no, we don't think so. Um, ArcView um, uh, Consulting came out with a report uh, that said, again, we're going to have about $100 million in revenue in Massachusetts by the year 2020. Now, on a $33 billion budget, $100 million doesn't sound like a lot. But I'll tell you this. Last month in um, Massachusetts, um, the legislature canceled the tax-free weekend. Every year in Massachusetts, they have a tax-free weekend. So you, you can go out and buy a refrigerator or some furniture or some other large ticket items, and you can save on the taxes. The legislature canceled that because they didn't want to lose $24 million in taxes. Now, if 
we can bring in $100 million in new revenue. Um, again, it doesn't sound like much, but when you're talking little cuts here and there, and right now, by the way, we have a budget crisis in Massachusetts. The governor is making cuts of $500,000 here, $1.5 million there. Um, you know, those cuts, when you look at a new revenue stream that maybe could prevent something like that, and some of those cuts, by the way, were cuts for opioid treatment beds, um, we think that our revenue stream would help uh, prevent cuts like that. And when you look at it, the legislature didn't even want to lose $24 million. And, you know, with a new stream of $100 million minimum, we think that would be something that Massachusetts voters will like. And by the way, as I'm sure you know, it's not just the tax revenue that you're creating. It's the money you're saving from not having to fund police operations or court costs or incarceration costs or, or prosecution costs. So really, it's a net positive of more than a hundred million dollars. Yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing figures. We're talking with Jim Borgasani from the Regulate Mass Massachusetts campaign. Yes, on question four, uh, you can find him on Twitter at Regulate Mass. Uh, what is it the same for the website regulatemass.org or com something like that? Jim, hello, Jim. Can you hear me? Hmm. Okay. Looks like we are somehow disconnected. Jim's not here. Ross, can you still hear me? Yeah, I I hear you just fine, Jim. Uh, Just got disconnected there for just a second. I was wondering if you could tell our listeners a little bit about the uh, social use aspects, the public pot lounge uh, possibilities for Massachusetts. I'm sorry. We're having some problems with the connection here somehow. Uh, Jim, I, I don't know how you're not hearing me, uh, but I want to thank you for your time. And uh, we encourage everyone to check out uh, regulatemass.com to learn more about the Regulate Massachusetts or just Google question four in Massachusetts. You can find out more information that way as well. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we will have time for our radical rant. The treat marijuana or treat alcohol like marijuana act rant. Also, apologies for us dropping off the air there for 10, 15 minutes. The uh, the old laptop was uh, choking and puking, and we had to do a reboot. So uh, in the uh, first half of hour two, I'll bring you the uh, behind the headlines and the drug war data mining that we didn't get to in hour one, plus a reread of the news so we have a clean copy. I'm Radical Russ, live in Potland. We'll be right back after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. From dabs to chibas, sativas to indicas, we roll out a whole concentrate of fresh new content every week. It's like going from the greenhouse to the dispensary. CannabisRadio.com. <sighs> cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash. And I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase. And it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. PayQuick, the safe and easy way to pay. 
P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Tommy Chong is ready to cut through the smoke and change the tone of Tilk Radio. You know, during Dance with the Stars, I started feeling discomfort. Yeah. And not only that, I was doing these old mountain smells. And yeah. it was kind of embarrassing because, you know, the, all the Dancing with the Stars crew, cast and crew, you know, they were all young kids. Yeah. You know, and then all of a sudden, this old guy would come along and do one of those silent farts, you know, that you don't know you're doing it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you smell, and everybody go, what the hell smells? And, you know, and you knew it was me. And, and so I'd scurry off to the bathroom, you know. And that's when I knew that there was something wrong. The Tommy Chung Podcast, only on. CannabisRadio.com. Welcome to my world. The Russ Belleville Show, providing dictionaries to drug czars since 2009. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make them. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it. and didn't inhale. And one major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical rant. Well, we're creeping up on Marijuana Election Night 2016, where we may legalize in five more U.S. states, bringing the total to nine. We may pass medical marijuana in three more states and restore it in a fourth, bringing the total to something like 28 or 29 medical marijuana states. And as this uh, legalization, this marijuana reform sweeps across the country, all we hear from our prohibitionist opposition is this this alarm about big marijuana. It's going to be big tobacco 2.0. It's going to be this predatory corporate industry, mendaciously marketing super potent gummy bears to the kids and promoting marijuana addiction among the young adults. We've heard it a number of times. We always hear from people like Mark Kleiman and Kevin Sabet how the alcohol industry makes most of its profits off of the heaviest drinkers. And that the marijuana industry will do the same. How the tobacco industry had to lie about its products and market to minors. And the marijuana industry will do the same. We're all supposed to be scared of this corporate marijuana. But it's not just the prohibitionists who are raising this alarm. There's some policy wonks out there, even some longtime supporters of ending marijuana prohibition, who agree somewhat with the Kevin Sabets of the world and the Mark Clymans of the world that this for-profit commercial marijuana industry ought to be rejected because, you know, the public health. We got to worry about these companies, these corporations, marketing and advertising and enticing people to smoke pot and smoke more of it more often. And it'll have increased public health costs and increased marijuana dependence and increased use and, I don't know, cats and dogs living together 
disasters of biblical proportions. We're all worried about the public health if we let a company sell marijuana. So now, now when we're legalizing the safest drug out there, now we're all concerned about the public health ramifications of selling drugs with a profit motive? How's it we just getting around to this now? Now we're worried about selling addiction for profit. Let me give you some examples that highlight how ridiculous it is to be going after the marijuana industry compared to what we accept and seem to be ignoring in the rest of America. For example, the United States and New Zealand are the only countries in the industrialized world that allow the advertising of pharmaceutical drugs directly to consumers over the television. Every other country, Europe, Australia, Canada, the rest of the world, if you're a drug manufacturer, you can't put an ad on the TV directly to the customer. Now, you can advertise to doctors. You can market to doctors and pharmacists, but not straight to the consumer. Only in the U.S. and New Zealand is that possible. And we are bombarded with these cartoon images of the robe that's depression and the butterfly that's sleeplessness and the the green snot ball, the mucus, and, and, and oh my God, those toenail fungus cartoon ads uh, crawling underneath your toenail. They're, they're, they're on our TV all day, all night, used to sell us these pills with, with side effects disclaimers that are longer than the ad itself. I love these side effects in these uh, ads too. I mean, sometimes you'll get anal leakage. Well, that's a, that's a side effect you're looking forward to, anal leakage. I love the, uh, the others, like the, the antidepressants that'll say may cause aggression and suicidal ideation. Yeah, doctor, I'm really bummed out. I'm, I'm, I'm depressed. I want to kill myself. Here, take this pill. But it might make you want to kill yourself. <laughs> That's accepted in this country and, and sold with cartoon ads. Oh, and my favorite. I love, I love the side effect of fatal episodes. Fatal episodes have been known to occur as if you could have more than one fatal episode. <laughs> this, this drug is so bad it may kill you twice. <laughs> so that's okay. We can have these ads on TV day and night. We can have the people in the bathtub with the Viagra. That can be on day and night. We can use cartoons to sell it. But now that we're legalizing the safest drug, We've got to insist there's no TV ads and no cartoon marketing. How about this? In almost any town in the United States of America, you can find yourself multiple examples of businesses located in buildings that are designed for the express purpose of getting high on drugs. These buildings usually have parking lots where adults can drive their car and park it while they go into the building to get high on drugs. And afterwards, we even trust these adults to self-evaluate whether they're too high on drugs for the task of driving that car back home. Now, these buildings designed for the taking of drugs are called bars, clubs, taverns, pubs, and roadhouses. The drug itself is called alcohol. And we know with statistical certainty that the existence of these drug-taking buildings and the lax manner in which we have oversight for the people who get high in those buildings then driving their cars, 
We know with statistical certainty that's going to contribute to assaults, rapes, car crashes, and death. But now, when we're legalizing the safest drug, oh, we better make laws forbidding people from getting high anywhere but their own home. Yeah, we don't want to have any buildings where people are designated to go get high on marijuana. But the uh, alcohol buildings, keep those. Those are fine. How about uh, the huge multinational corporations that run hundreds or even thousands of fast food restaurants from coast to coast that are peddling fats and sugars and calories all for profit? And we know with statistical certainty that this is directly related to the epidemic of obesity in this country. And of course, we know with statistical certainty, increased obesity leads to death and health complications that are preventable. Now, these huge multinational corporations running the fast food companies are allowed to air TV ads, not just TV ads on TV, but ads aimed directly at children. And and they're allowed to entice them to eat their fats, sugars, and calories. They're enticed by playgrounds, literal playgrounds built indoors at these fast food restaurants and, and colorful meal packages designed to catch a child's eye with a child's toy inside for a prize. And, and usually the theme of these packaged bits of fats, sugars, and calories are festooned with the favorite cartoons of the kids or the favorite movies of the kids. That's perfectly okay. But now that we're legalizing the safest drug, oh, no, no, no. You can't put it anywhere near a playground and uh, all the products have to be dull and shapeless so that the kids aren't enticed by them. And uh, you got to make sure that you got frosted glass and uh, minimal advertising with no cartoons or logos or, or God, for, God forbid, you can't actually show what the product looks like. And, and, and nobody who uses the product can be seen using the product. Now, we want to establish those standards to save the universe, right? The fast food, the pharmaceuticals, the alcohol, the tobacco. Ah, no big deal. Look, the excesses of the alcohol, tobacco, sugar, caffeine, and fat industry are being used by these public policy wonks as the example, the evidence, to show that Addiction for profit harms the public health. And when we're talking about alcohol, tobacco, sugar, caffeine, and fat, I would agree with them. But now, knowing that these industries that are hurting and killing far more people, doing much more damage to the public health than marijuana ever could, they know they have political muscle. And those policy wonks know that trying to pull and restrict and change those industries to the detriment of American liberty, they know they would have a losing fight on their hands. So they turn their attention to the fledgling marijuana industry, which is too new and too small to fight back. Then they can pat themselves on the back for a policy victory. Yay, we saved the public health from marijuana. Look, 
We have already capitulated far more than any other legal industry. We've accepted purchase limits, possession limits, advertising restrictions. But now some of these guys want to crush the profit motive. They want to they have non-profit requirements or state-run monopolies like the liquor store model that a lot of states had and are starting to get rid of. Or they want to see more Washington, D.C.-style, no-commerce, grow-and-give legalization. Look, folks, when we lobbied to treat marijuana like alcohol, it wasn't just a comparison used to soften the acceptance of regulation over prohibition. It was a cry for equality. Treat marijuana like alcohol. Equality for pot smokers who just want to have the same liberty as their beer-drinking friends. It was us, an outlaw caste, marginalized, demanding respect and dignity for making the safer choice when we alter our consciousness. It wasn't treat marijuana like we should have treated alcohol. So I propose for these policy wonks that are talking about nonprofits and growing gives and that stuff, I challenge them with something I call treat alcohol like marijuana. The next time you have a plan to restrict the public health dangers of marijuana, then propose the same plan for beer and solicit some public input on that. Because if you're not willing to do that for a recreational mind-altering substance that causes far more public harm, then you're just a hypocritical bully picking on the weakest legal drug pusher because you can All right, that's all the time we got for hour one. And again, apologies for the skips and stutters and the uh, going off air in that first hour. But next is hour two, Toker Talk Radio, which uh, the first half hour is going to be the stuff that we didn't get to do in the first half hour of this first half hour. So if you're feeling a little deja vu, there's going to be a reason for that. Also, Angela Bach is calling in from Utah or from Nevada. She's going to give us some updates on some shenanigans going on out there. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down to earth.